I'm calling this this evening, How to Spend an Extended Time Alone with God. How to Spend an Extended Time Alone with God. And, and uh, when I first became a Christian, uh, back when the earth's crust cooled a long time ago, uh, one of the very first things someone handed me was um, a new church member training workbook for adults. I keep it in my, my quiet time Bible, the Bible I use in the mornings. And, uh, and in it I have actually the church letterhead and the scriptures that the pastor wrote down when he shared the gospel with me. And I keep that with me. It's good not to forget where you come from. And I was, I was 17 when that was shared with me. And inside, in this little booklet, there were some basic uh, teachings, things I needed to know about. And as you went through this material, uh, when you got to the back, and I'm not finding it right away, just a second here. Um, one of the first things it talks about, here it is. Yeah, let me get there. But anyway, it's your devotional life. It talks about, one of the very last things it talked about was how to carve out time every day to be alone with God. And I find that um, something that seemed like everybody seemed to understand uh, 35 years ago, not so much anymore. And so it's important that periodically we take time as a church just to stop and say, hey, um, do we understand the importance of spending time alone with God each day? And what do you do when you spend time alone with God each day? And so uh, I'm going to be talking about if you were going to spend half a day or a whole day or two or three days, but, but the principles that I'm sharing really apply to even that quiet 15 minutes, 30 minutes, hour, whatever you do uh, when you're alone with God each day. And so that's where I'm going this evening, and we're going to take some time to consider that and you have that handout to, uh, to help you. Would you pray with me as we begin? Father, there's no sweeter time in my day or in my life than that time where you call me into your presence and I get to be alone with you. And Father, I thank you that that is the privilege of every child of God in this room. That you desire to be with us, that you love us, and that you treasure us as your children. I ask, Father, tonight that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. That you would take the truth of your word and apply it to our hearts. For those of us who are well familiar with what it means to be alone with you, I pray this would be encouraging. For others who may be hearing it for the first time and never really haven't thought about it, I pray, Father, your spirit would stir them uh, with a hunger, a thirst, to seek you every day. And I pray, Father, each, each person here, as they turn their heart to you this evening, this week, and every time that you would meet with them in that quiet place. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the, um, I mentioned this morning in passing that there is a time of refreshing that occurs when you and I turn to the Lord and in order for us to truly turn to him uh, we have to be still in our heart we have to be still come to a place where we stop and and for myself and this is why I put it in the definition that I used this morning for myself often that takes the 
the form of this accumulated sense of responsibility I have for myself and coming to a place where I take that and I give it back to God. Now, he's supposed to always have it. But, um, but over time, it seems that I, I feel increasingly more and more responsible for me, and I've got to take care of me, make things happen as if God didn't exist. And what he wants me to do is come and lay my burdens and cares at his feet. And that includes responsibility for protecting me and taking care of me and so forth. So when that happens, he is then most able to come into our life and fill us with his spirit. And, and there is a real renewal that takes place. That is your birthright as a Christian. And, and ideally, that is what you want to happen when you meet with God every day. Uh, not just uh, read scripture. Maybe in a, if morning's not your best time, you may actually be in a haze as you do it. And, um, and may forget what you read just as soon as you close the book. Um, but when you come to that time, you come to a place where you're actually engaging and meeting with the Lord uh, through His Spirit. So, um, we were talking this morning about how we get distracted from the Lord and how we get overloaded. And that overloading has a way of sneaking up on us as we just spin and spin and spin spiritual capital. And we suddenly run dry and we don't realize what has happened or what's taken place. So we can run out of gas spiritually. Uh, doesn't mean we don't love the Lord, but it does mean that we can get pretty tired spiritually and our soul can get worn out. Uh, ministry becomes a chore. In our personal relationships, we can become short-tempered. We can act abnormally, ways that we don't normally act. We can act irrationally, lose our temper easily, feel frustrated with those we love and serve. And why is that? Because we're, op we're running on empty and we need to be restored. And so the, the value of spending an extended time alone with God is to refill the reservoir, to reestablish your connection with a God who has infinite wisdom, who possesses infinite power, infinite strength, and who loves you in a way that no one on the planet can. So it's time to take time alone with God. Uh, the first question I want to take this evening is why have time alone with Him? And, um, and so on your handout, uh, that's the first question. You'll see three fill-in-the-blank statements there that um, will help us frame our discussion. This first one is really the most important one. If I was going to give a reason why we should spend time alone with God, it's his very first reason, to renew daily fellowship with the Father. When Jesus was tempted... To turn stones into bread. Do you remember that? The devil said, if you're hungry, here's what you do. If you're the son of God, take these stones, turn them into bread. And there are a lot of reasons why he didn't do it. But you remember, with each temptation, he answered with a scriptural quotation. He answered with scriptural truth. And he answered with a, with a, with a verse from Deuteronomy. And in it, he said... He said, don't you understand that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, the context for that in Deuteronomy was a reference to the manna that fell from heaven. Who, everybody know what manna is? Manna? When the Israelites had no food to eat, and they were traveling the wilderness for 40 years, every day but, but the Lord's day, manna fell from heaven. They were to go out and gather it, and they could treat it just like uh, grain. 
They could cook with it, make things with it. Manna. And when the 40 years of traveling were over, the manna from heaven stopped falling. And he caused it to fall, it says in Deuteronomy, so that we would learn that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That manna fell because God said for it to fall. Every day, their physical bodies were dependent on what God gave them. And every day, your spirit and soul are dependent on what God wants to give you. There is a daily manna for your soul that God wants to supply you with. And that daily manna comes as you have contact with him. And he supplies you with everything you need spiritually and in your soul. He is capable of that. And it is like daily manna for you and for me. So it's to renew daily fellowship with the Father. Jesus models this lifestyle. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, the Bible says, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And this was his custom. This was his habit. He got up well before daylight and went out to be alone with God. Now, I'll, I'll probably underscore this again, but, uh, you know, some, some of you are not conscious before the sun comes up. And if you were conscious, you weren't, your mind is not working yet. And uh, I live with people that drink coffee. I, I don't drink coffee. But everybody in my family drunk coffee since they were knee high. And they act like they can't function until they've had coffee. Uh, I don't understand that. Uh, my eyes pop open. I'm up. And um, so I'm wired for that early morning time. But if you read the Psalms, you read them carefully, you'll discover that David had multiple times in a day where he would stop and just be alone with God. He would lay awake at night on his bed, talk to the Lord, have communion with God. Uh, he did it day and night, different times of the day and night. And so I'm going to say this to you very carefully. I, I think very, it's very important to start your day with God. But your best time alone with God may not be early in the morning. And, um, and so, um, but I do think it's essential that you have daily time alone with God. And Jesus models that for us. He went out, went to a place to be alone, and there he prayed. Who was he talking to? He wasn't talking to himself. He was talking to his father. And he needed that daily fellowship, wanted that daily fellowship. So he turns around to us in Matthew 6, verse 6, and he says, But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now, there's a, there are all kinds of principles in that one verse. There's a principle of being alone, solitude, uh, getting to a place where it's just you and God and nobody else. And in that place of aloneness, you're actually carving out something in your soul, a space where it's just you and God and nobody else. And even though you leave that room or you leave that spot or you leave that time, you take that same private place, that same secret place with you into every conversation, every workplace, every room in your house, everywhere you go. And you discover that as you learn to talk with God privately, you're able to continue that conversation with God anywhere. And that communion with God, that abiding in Christ that we talked about last fall, is something that goes on throughout your day. It doesn't have to stop when you leave that, that time alone with him. But it begins there. It begins there. So there's this principle of being alone. It also speaks to me of how very much the Father wants to be alone with you. He wants to be alone with you. 
He delights in you. You are precious to him. He created you, made everything about you, knows everything about you, sent his son to die for you so that every hindrance to a relationship with him could be removed. And he waits for you to come to him. He is more anxious to meet with you in that moment than perhaps you are to meet with him. He is eager. You don't have to read very far, for example, in Luke 15, of the prodigal son, how the father who represents God is waiting on the hill for that prodigal to come home. And it shows the eagerness of God to be connected to you, his child. And so Jesus taught us to pray in that way. So um, why have time alone with God? It's to renew daily fellowship with the father, that inner conversation, that inner communion with you and with him. And, um, and I say that's the most important and I just need to try to drive this home, maybe a little bit more. Um, when, when you go to be alone with the Lord, I believe that there's great value in discipline. I do. I have disciplines that I exercise in my, my walk with the Lord. But my discipline may not be your discipline. Now, the way I do it is not necessarily the way that you ought to do it. But there's one thing we should share in common. And that is that my objective in going into that quiet place and that quiet time is to meet with God. And that means for me, there are some days where I might read a lot of scripture. And that scripture will just come alive. There'll be a section of scripture where I just sense that God is speaking to me and I'll mark it up and make notes and write things in my journal. But honestly, there are other times where I go in and I start to read the scripture and I just close my Bible and I just sit alone before the Lord. And I enjoy him and he enjoys me. Um, Leonard Ravenhill was a preacher from another day, itinerant preacher, powerful preacher, English. Was good friends with another man named A.W. Tozer. When Leonard Ravenhill first came to this country, he spent time with Tozer, who was a pastor in Chicago, Christian Missionary Alliance pastor. Wrote a lot of books. If you're not familiar with his writings or the writings of Leonard Ravenhill, I encourage you to read their, their stuff. It's, it's encouraging, it's exciting to your heart. Tozer had a habit of getting up early in the morning and he would, he would go and spend time alone with the Lord. He would go to his, uh, sometimes by the shoreline um, on the shore of Lake Michigan. Other times he would go to his church office. He'd go in and there'd be times he'd just tell his secretary, he said, just, uh, I've got another appointment, I'm busy. Just tell people I'm busy. And he shared with, with Lynn Ravenhill one time, and, and then it was shared, shared with me that, that Tozer, in talking to Ravenhill one time, he said, you know, there are times I go in to my office early in the morning, and I get down on my face on the carpet before the Lord, and not one word comes out of my mouth. 
I just worship the Lord. If, if we go into that time just to complete an agenda or check off a list or do it for any other reason other than to meet with God, we are missing out on what he wants to bring to us in that moment in that day. He loves us. He loves you. He values you. One of my favorite verses, Psalm 27, I think it's verse 4. King David, who was a king, he was a, he was a poet, he was a songwriter, he was a military man, he was brilliant, uh, gifted. And he said, one thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek. One thing, one thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple, to get his direction. And so he was talking about gazing or looking at God in the temple, which wasn't even built yet. There was no temple. And so what he was describing was, was going before the Lord and recalling who he is and the truth about him. And all he wanted to do, the one thing he desired in his life, the only thing he wanted to do was to go where God is and to be alone with God and to think about who God is, just to worship him. And I tell you what, in the world that you and I live in, that's a whole new thing to do with our minds and our hearts. That's just not where a lot of us live. We, most of us live outside ourselves. We don't deal much with our inner world. But you can't read the Bible very long to see that it's all about our inner world. And, um, and so this is the precious thing is to renew our daily fellowship with God. There's a second reason we have time alone with God, and that's to be restored after a busy season of ministry. To be restored after a busy season of ministry. Jesus, after a busy season, often withdrew from the crowds. In Matthew 14, 23, it says, And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. So again, he did it in the morning. Here's an occasion where he did it in the evening. So don't, don't get all bent out of shape or legalistic about exactly when you do this. He grabbed those times like air. He grabbed those times like water to a thirsty man. When he saw time he could go and be alone with God, he went. And, um, and so Jesus did that. Well, it had been an incredibly busy time. Uh, there were times where Jesus was trying to be alone with God and a bunch of people showed up. And he just stopped, he just did ministry, and then when he could, he stepped back again to be alone with the Father. In Luke chapter 5, verse 15, However, the report went around concerning him all the more, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. So here are these great crowds. What does he do? So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. So the more the crowds came, the more he felt a need to be alone with God. Now why is that? Because crowds... Take the life from you. They make withdrawals. And Jesus, in his human form, needed to fill up the reservoir. He needed that contact with his father. He never acted independently of his father. Never. He was totally dependent on the father. All the way to death, it says in Philippians 2. Totally dependent on the father. 
modeling for you and me the way that we are called to live, dependent on the Father for what we say and what we do. And so when he had been busy doing ministry, he needed to retreat and to be alone with God. And in that contact of, of the, his human spirit with the Spirit of God, he was recharged, he was refreshed. He was refreshed. So we need to be restored. Uh, you, can't, you can't run on empty very long. The third reason we have time alone with God is to obtain direction. To obtain direction. That's what David meant when I quoted Psalm 27, 4 a while ago. To, um, to behold the beauty of the Lord, he says in the temple. That's what I want to do. One thing I have desired, that will I seek. That I may behold the beauty, beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. To inquire means to seek direction, to ask questions. And so to obtain direction is another reason we do it. I don't know what a day holds. I don't know who I need to see always. I know what's on my calendar. But I don't always know everything that God has in mind. And some days he brings people to mind. Some days he brings very specific things I'm to do with specific people. And that's not every day, but it's often enough. And, and so I'm seeking direction, not just on big decisions. Who am I going to marry when I grow up? I'm already married. Um, where should I go and serve as a pastor? I'm already serving as a pastor. And, and so we don't go for direction just for the big things. We go every day for direction. God has things for you to do, and he wants to guide us in that, that way. So Jesus, uh, to obtain direction, would seek the Lord. For example, in Luke chapter 6, verse 12, it says, Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Have you ever spent a night in prayer to God? Our church has, haven't we? We've spent a whole week, day and night in prayer as a congregation. But have you as an individual done that? Well, Jesus did that. Why was he doing that? All night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. And from them, he chose 12 whom he also named apostles. So what was he praying about on the mountain all night? Father, who do you want me to pick? Father, who do you want me to choose? A major vital decision. The destiny of millions of people hinged on that. And God led him to those 12. And of course, one of those was Judas, which is a mystery. Uh, Matthew 26, verse 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. Now, what did he pray about? He knew what was coming. He knew his death was imminent. And uh, there was a human will there and there was the will of God. He goes into that garden. Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. There's a will there in that statement. He said, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Now, there's a mystery to that because Jesus was a son of God. He was God. He was not partly God or a little bit God. He was fully God. But remember, everything he did as a human being on earth, he did dependent on the Father. And so who wants to go to the cross? Who naturally wants to go to the cross and die there? And so he goes into that garden, and there's his will and the Father's will. He comes out of the garden with one will. That's what I mean about seeking direction. Many times you and I wrestle with the will of God. And what I mean by wrestling is there's my will and God's will. Once I understand his will, then I've got the answer I need, and I can go forward. Sometimes that means I've got to take my will and submit it to his. So there's a process there. Acts chapter 3, verse 19 
One of my favorite all-time verses, I quoted it this morning, Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. That is salvation. It's turning from a life without God, turning to a life to God. That's what repent means, is to turn. And be converted that your sins may be blotted out. That means erased as if they had never been committed, never been done. That's what happens when you're saved. You put your trust in Jesus. All your sins are carried away. They are removed. They are erased by the blood of Jesus. Why? So that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Man, I love that. Not one time. It's not a one-time thing. Multiple times. If I can be alone with God, still my soul, unburden my soul, there is a refreshing, and here it means literally to catch your breath. There's a there's a restoration, a renewal that comes from waiting before the Lord and, and having contact with his presence. It comes from the presence of the Lord. There's one more verse, James chapter 4, verse 8. Precious promise, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. If you go home tonight and you go to your room alone and you close the door, you're drawing near to God on purpose. You can know based on the authority and promise of God's word, if it's your heart to draw near to God, what is he doing? He's drawing near to you. And, um, and by the way, that's true of you as an individual, but this verse is spoken to a congregation because it's in the second person plural. If you all will draw near to God, he says, God will draw near to you all. And of course, that's part of what we were doing last week. Second question, that's why we have time alone with God, but what do you need? What do you need to have time alone with God? And I've got four blanks there, or four bullets. Uh, the first one is time. The first step to making quiet time a reality is T-I-M-E, and any amount of time is better than none, okay? So don't compare yourself to some great saint in history who prayed for 24 or 28 or 30 hours a day. You know, don't compare yourself to praying Hyde or somebody like that who prayed for weeks at a time. Don't do that. Um, but do set aside time, and any amount of time is better than none. A quiet place. A quiet place. Essentially a place where you can be undisturbed. Um, my preference, my encouragement to you would be to find a place where you can speak out loud and not worry about being heard. Uh, there is a value to speaking out loud to the Lord. Uh, the early Christians would not have known a great deal about silent prayer. They did pray silently, but it was the custom of that day to pray out loud. It's also the custom to read out loud. So if they read scripture, they read the scripture out loud. And, um, and so I'm kind of self-conscious. I don't want to hear somebody listening in on what I'm saying. So I like to be in a place where I'll speak very softly. But, um, but there's a value to speaking out loud. So a uh, quiet place, someplace you won't be undisturbed. And listen, for me that has moved around, I used to live in a house with six kids. My goodness. The only time I could find a quiet place was before anybody else got up. Maybe that's why I do what I do now. My eyes just pop open well before anybody else. I know there were moments, um, critical moments in our life where to be alone with God and 
and uh, to have extended time alone with God, I'd leave the house and go out in the, the family minivan with a flashlight in my Bible and a notebook. And I'd close that door, it's pretty soundproof. And I could talk to God, I could sing to God, I could cry before the Lord, I could do whatever I needed to do. It was quiet. Your car may be a great place. I used to do it on the way to work sometimes when I drove from Conway to Little Rock. And uh, everybody else was mean, trying to pass each other and kill each other. And I was just there worshiping Jesus. Uh, the third bullet, uh, I encourage you to have a Bible and a notebook. Notebook doesn't have to be anything fancy. Uh, different times in my life, I've used just about everything. I, I've used a little spiral-bound notebook. Um, I've used a fancy leather notebook one of my kids gave me one time. Uh, I use... Uh, I use an app called Evernote on my iPad now to take notes. Um, but, um, but have some way that when God speaks to you, you can make notes. And there's tremendous value to that, especially when you go back later and you see a pattern of how God's been speaking to you about something. And so a Bible and a notebook. And the fourth thing I put down is prayer guides and devotional books. Prayer guides and devotional books. Uh, books that challenge you, books that encourage you, Prayer guides that use scripture, I find are really helpful. And if you want specific examples, I can, I can give you some uh, later, privately, some, some that you might want to consider. But uh, in addition to reading scripture, sometimes I find it helpful to use a prayer guide or to use a devotional book. I'm pretty ticky about it. Some of them are pretty, not, not very deep and um, don't necessarily stir my heart. But others move me. And God speaks to me through those people who are taking scriptures and sharing their heart as well. So those are, those are all tools that can be helpful to you. How do you make it meaningful? How do you make it meaningful? I got four things to share with you on this. Uh, first is to minimize distractions. And um, when I was a bivocational minister, I worked for an engineering firm for five years and I also served a church. There were times where I had some dead time in the afternoons. I'd go up to the church to a Sunday school classroom. Nobody else was there. It was empty. And I'd, I'd have a couple hours alone with God there. Um, and, uh, but the goal is to minimize distractions. When um, uh, 20 years ago, I started a habit of once, twice, three or four times a year, just, just varies, of getting alone with God for two or three days at a time. And typically I would find a camp somewhere that was not occupied, that was totally empty, and would cut a deal with a camp manager to let me stay in some dorm or some room. And I would go there with my Bible, with those books that speak to me, and my notebook. And I would, and I'm gonna talk to you what, about what to do, give you some ideas about what to do during that time, but I would just spend time alone with God. And uh, what was I doing? I was minimizing distractions. Getting away from all the noise, getting away from all the, the stuff. Um, there's a camp that I've, that I've used since I've been here at Wynn, um, uh, back uh, north of Conway, but it's way back in the ridges, and it sits between two ridges, and I don't get a cell signal without walking to the top of the hill. And so when I go there, last time I was there was last October, November, somewhere in there, and when I go there, I literally have to go to the top of the hill to call my wife or check my messages. And so I don't, I don't have internet. I'm, I'm off the grid. I'm unplugged. 
and there's nobody there except critters. And I can go walking through the woods and, and uh, just be still. Um, but minimize distractions. Number two, get alone. Get alone. I think it's meaningful to spend that time alone. Number three, take notes. Uh, take notes. And then number four, and this is gold right here. This is worth all the money you paid to come here tonight to this workshop. Use a questions and concerns list. Use a questions and concerns list. Now, Pastor, what is a questions and concerns list? Um, you can almost do this now as an exercise, but I've got a series of questions here. But here's, here's the value of it. One of the first things I do when I'm going to spend an extended time alone with the Lord, but even, even during the week, there are times where I'll have things I'm praying about, and I'll bring it to the Lord every day. And I'll talk to Him about those things. But a questions and concerns list are things that are on your heart. Questions you have. Things you're working through, problems you're facing, uh, burdens you're feeling, uh, they're concerns, they're things that are bothering you. Now, when I go and spend an extended period of time alone with God, I find that some things surface that have been in the background of my mind and heart that I haven't been paying attention to. Things that have been nagging me, things I've been worried about or anxious about, and they'll surface. And, and so as I start out that time alone with God, one of the things I do is I put together, uh, what are the questions I have for the Lord? What, what's on my heart? And here's some example. What's not working right now in your life? Where are you stuck? Do you feel like you're not getting anywhere in some area where you're, you're, you're trying to accomplish something and you're stuck? What is a constant area of frustration in your work? That's just an example. And if something comes to mind, that's probably something you ought to be talking to the Lord about. What are your fears? What are your dreams? Sometimes we have longings that we had at one point for the Lord to serve Him, and we have shoved them down, and we're not listening anymore. But when we get alone with God, they come back to the surface. What are your longings? Uh, what are your upcoming decisions? What are your problems that you need to address? Who are the people you need to be serving? Uh, what is making you feel guilty or uncomfortable? What do you need to be doing but are not? Those are the kinds of questions that, that help you put together things to talk to the Lord about. I'm not talking about things you ought to fix before you can pray. I'm talking about things you ought to take to the Lord in prayer. And say, oh God, I've just been beating my head against the wall in this one particular area. This area's really bothering me. Or I got a child that's on my heart. And oh God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to pray for them? What can I do in, in this relationship uh, that would make a difference? And um, how does it happen? This is my next question. How does it happen, the process? And, um, and this is really a snapshot of what can happen in my daily time alone with God or when I get away for extended periods. Um, I've got uh, six things here. What I want to say before I read off these six things is that these are not in sequence. These are not in sequence. These are not, this is not an order in which I work. Uh, but these are the kinds of activities that go on when I'm alone with the Lord. Number one, ask. Ask. Uh, and that truly is part of the early process, but I ask for him to come, to speak, um, to direct me, to have his way with me. And in doing that, I find that there's value in, once again, surrendering myself to him. God, you're in charge. You are sovereign. You are the king. And I am not. And so 
uh, I see that pattern in Romans 12.1 where it says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him. And he says then in verse 2, he says, and uh, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So before I study, before I read, before I uh, deal with my mind, the thing that comes first is he says, surrender or give your body, which includes your soul and your spirit, give everything to God. Before I can deliberate or reflect or think, I need to surrender. You say, why is that important? Because sometimes you go to pray about God's direction in your life. But in the back of your mind, you haven't surrendered yourself to his will. You want to kind of check it out first. And you expect God to show you his will, but you're not already surrendered to it. And so surrender comes often before insight and revelation. Surrender is really important. And so based on what God has done, Paul says, surrender yourself. Your bodies is a living sacrifice. And uh, the problem with a living sacrifice is it gets up on the altar, but it wants to crawl back off. But when that body is on the altar, it is constantly being consumed as an offering to God. And he says, move your heart to that place where you are constantly offering yourself to the Lord. And then don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So surrender comes before insight and revelation so ask ask him to come ask him to speak to you a second word is rest rest um, especially now in your daily time alone with God I find that if you're gonna get up early it helps to go to bed early I don't know if anybody's noticed that that's one of the reasons I hate time change by the way it just kind of messes everything up uh, I think if they're gonna the government's gonna have time change uh, they ought to give us the next five weeks off. Just a suggestion. Um, but uh, if I'm going to get up early, I need to go to bed early. And so I may need to change something about my evening, but my, my day starts in the evening. What's going to happen on, on Tuesday starts Monday evening. And if you'll notice, the way the Bible talks about days in the book of Genesis, it says there was evening and and there was morning the second day. There was evening and there was morning the third day. There was evening and morning the fourth day. And it starts the day with the evening. And, and that's very true in our walk with God. And so it's important that you have rest. Um, I'm not saying you, you, you're going to have to get eight hours of sleep every night before you can have time alone with God. But if you're running on four hours every night, you're not going to have high quality encounters. Your body just can't handle it. When I get alone for two or three days, I find that the first day, I will sleep almost the whole day. I remember when I first started doing that 20 years ago, I felt really guilty because we still had children at home, and Gail was making the sacrifice for me to get all by myself. And I would get out there, and the first thing I would do is I'd start to pray, start to read, start to think about my questions and concerns list, and I'd get real tired, and I would fight it to stay awake, and I'd fight it to stay awake. And I learned later to stop fighting it. And I'd lay down and go to sleep. And it's amazing to me, and it was an amazing discovery to me to realize how much residual fatigue that I was carrying around physically in my body. And you need to understand that a lot of us are running tired. A lot of us are just tired. 
And the most spiritual thing some of y'all can do is go to bed and, um, and deal with that fatigue. And what I have found is that if I can get rid of that fatigue, it's like my spiritual ears just, just go on high alert. And the Bible comes alive. And it's like everything I read has significance. And God's speaking to me. And, um, and so it's really important to rest. Rest is an important word. Another word is focus. Focus. And that has to do with um, giving attention to specific things. That questions and concerns list, if that's how you approach it. But you need to be sensitive to what's going on in your heart, what's going on in your mind. What are the things he's bringing to mind? What are the things you've been carrying around? And, and focus, review, revise uh, that list until you're satisfied, captured what's on your heart and what's on his. The, the fourth word is flow. Go with the flow. And that's part of what I did by just going to sleep when I was tired. But, but other times, it would be picking up um, a book and reading a chapter that came to mind or that I saw on the table of contents. Another place it would be reading somewhere in scripture that came to mind. And if I got tired of that, I would shift to something else. And um, it's not haphazard, but I would sort of follow my heart. And if I got tired or weary in one particular thing, I would shift to something else. And so there's a flow to it. You can trust God to lead you through that, that process. Listen as you read. Listen as you pray. And I call it waiting for the burn. Now, there was a message I preached here over a year ago from Luke 24, where the two disciples on the road to Emmaus encountered Jesus on the, on the day of the resurrection, and they didn't recognize him. You remember that? And they were telling Jesus, who they didn't recognize, how terrible it was because Jesus had been killed. And, and so he, he began to explain to them from the Old Testament that the Messiah had to suffer and die and was going to be raised again. And, and when, he, when they finally recognized him and he, he disappeared, what words did they say? Did our hearts not burn within us as he opened the scriptures to us? And so I read for the burn. I read for that moment in the scripture where I recognize that I'm no longer just reading words on a page, but God is speaking to my heart. And you will know when that burn happens. I, I'm sorry, but there's some intuitive experiential aspect of this. And as you read along, God will speak to you. He will use his word. Read for the burn. Luke 24, verse 32, if you need to look that up. And then the last word is capture. Capture. Write down your thoughts. As God speaks to you, make notes of those things. And uh, I encourage you to write that in your notebook. And then before the retreat is over, um, review those notes. Before your time alone with God is over and you go out into your day, look at what you've written down. Look at what you've read. And sometimes there's further insight that God gives to you. Now, I know that on your sheet, we don't have all the blanks filled in. Well, I'll just give it to you. Clarify your thoughts. Clarify your thoughts. And whoever's running the PowerPoint, you can just jump ahead to that, to that slide. I think it's slide 26. Clarify your thoughts. Um, these are the takeaways. What is God saying to me? How do I need to obey him today? How do I need to respond to him? Um, the second one is define your response. Specifically, how am I going to act on what God is saying? And then the third one is obey his direction. Obey his direction.